are typified by many things, uh, making us unique uh, in this part of the world, this part of time in history. But one of them certainly has to be that we like our options. Uh, we like um, choices. We like to have our options open. We like to have a, a plenitude of, of choices in front of us. You know, the, the bigger the menu, the better. Uh, the greater the channel selection, the grander, right? I mean, we are a people that loves many options, many choices, uh, as many things in front of us as we can possibly have. And, and that carries over into the spiritual realm as well. It's one of the reasons I think that we see a trend, a growing trend in our culture and in, in, uh, uh, in our uh, nation uh, that, that's been well uh, studied and quite a bit spoken of in, in recent months. And that is the, the growing demographic of those who identify themselves as nuns, N-O-N-E-S, meaning that when it comes to what your worldview is and what your religion is and what your faith assumptions may be, uh, you are declining uh, any exclusive allegiance to any particular faith. It's, 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 it's much broader and open than that. Now, to, that, that's a worthy, that's a, certainly a subject that's worthy of much conversation and consideration, like what's going on there in, in this moment in our nation's history, that that, that, that would be a growing trend. But what I want to point out here is, is, is not so much uh, exploring that here at the moment, but rather just to consider this, that to decide not to decide <coughs> is to decide. To decide not to decide is to have made a decision. It's to make a decision to keep at arm's length any exclusive allegiance to a particular faith of any kind. I mean, that, that, that is actually... A, a decision. And so it's into this decisive indecisiveness that we need to consider our Lord's clear declaration of himself and what it means to follow him. So with that in mind, we're going to begin a little mini-series over the coming weeks on this simple topic. What is a disciple? What is a disciple? And in particular, looking at that question through the lens of Mark's gospel. What is a disciple, most in particular, as far as what we can discern from Mark's gospel? So that's where we're going to be for just a, a few minutes this morning. We're just kind of touching the surface uh, of, of that question. Uh, but if you have a Bible, I'd ask you to turn with me now to Mark chapter 1. Uh, Mark chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 20. Uh, this is one of the four gospels that we have, Matthew then Mark, then Luke, then John, but we are in Mark. Mark is the shortest of the Gospels, believed to be likely the first of them uh, that was written. Uh, Mark chapter 1, this is obviously the very beginning, and we're going to start in verse 1 and read on through verse 20. Hear now God's word. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins." Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, 
the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Well, let's pray together, if we may, for just a moment. Oh, Lord Jesus, would you please, uh, as we ask this question here this morning, what is a disciple, would you please give us insight into the answer to that question and insight that would you would cause to bear fruit, fruit within, even in our own lives, uh, even right now, whatever the condition of the soil is of our hearts individually, uh, particularly as this, your word, uh, the seed of your word falls into the soil, would you cause the needed fruit to be born? And would you help every one of us, wherever we are, even this morning, uh, before you, to be changed? Oh, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come? Would you speak to our hearts now in this moment, this time, and change us, we pray, please? Amen. What is a disciple? Let's just cut right into that. What is a disciple? It's a vital question to, that we would ask because by definition, to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus is to be a disciple. Those aren't separate categories. Um, being a disciple of Jesus is not like an equipment add-on when you're buying a new vehicle and you want to you know, upgrade to a, a, a fancier model and you're saying, oh, I'm, I, I've been a Christian, but now I want to be a disciple. No, that's not the way this works. By definition, to, to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus is to be a disciple of Jesus. It is, it is not a further stage of our spiritual development. It is not a special class of individual and spirituality. Uh, to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, is by definition to be a disciple. Uh, it was common, common for people to, to know and understand this concept of discipleship in the first century. Uh, Jewish rabbis had disciples. This was a thing in, in those days, in that time, in that culture. These were, 
just understood to be, to be followers, to be, to be students, to be apprentices, to be pupils who devoted themselves, committed themselves to, to learn from this person, to follow the teachings, the ideals, the ideas, the, uh, the views, the principles of this person, to, fo- to listen, learn, and to follow them, to walk with them in, on, on the, the path that they uh, set forth. You know, it's worth knowing, to, it kind of gives you an index as to how important this concept is, in the New Testament, you see the word disciple over 250 times. So it must be a thing. A, a thing that perhaps we might do well to, to consider here for a moment. What does it mean, specifically, though, to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Let me just give you a very simple answer to that question. Just a very simple answer to that question. To be a disciple of Jesus is simply to have heard his call and follow him. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to have heard his call and to follow him. Now, that sounds like such a simple thing, but the implications of those words, when you really start delving into that and considering that, are astonishing. They're absolutely astonishing. Well, that's what our text is showing us here this morning. To be a disciple of Jesus begins with hearing the call of Jesus. To be a disciple of Jesus begins with hearing the call of Jesus. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean to have heard the call of Jesus, if that's such a fundamental thing? Well, if you've got the outlines where we're going over the next few minutes, we're just going to Again, we're just, just, just like an introduction to an introduction this morning, okay, on, on this topic, okay? So we're going to just talk about two things pertaining, pertaining to this call and the reality of the call, that's the first point, and the necessity of the call is the second point, okay? So the reality of the call and the necessity of the call. So first, the reality of the call. So here's some questions just to be thinking about over the next few minutes. What caused these men as recounted in this account, what caused these men to follow Jesus? Who was speaking to them? Who is standing there before them with his feet in the sand as they're in the water or also in the sand, whether they're doing the fishing or tending the nets or you know, which of the set of the brothers we're talking about? Who, what is it that caused them to leave everything behind and to follow him? And who is this? These are related questions, by the way. And who is this that is speaking to them? We need to consider the authority of his voice, the authority of the one who is, is speaking. What is it that they heard that day? What is it that they, that they heard? What, what moved them in such an astonishing, transformational way? You need to understand that what moved them was not simply persona. It was not simply, I don't know, they had a good feeling about this guy. Um, there's a text that's worth thinking about here just at this moment. You don't have to turn there, but it's, it's Isaiah 53, verse 2. It's a place that we look at a series of verses, a, a Good Friday and really well worth all the year. But Isaiah 53, verse 2, this is 700 years before Jesus shows up on the scene. And these are some of the descriptions of this one who was to come, okay? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, and Isaiah goes on from there. So what do we just kind of infer from this? What this has to tell us is, I don't mean to sound flippant, but I'm just going to put it this way. 
The man that these men encountered that day did not have the wonderful cadence and voice of Morgan Freeman. He did not have the physique of Dwayne Johnson. He did not have the good looks of Brad Pitt, nor did he carry himself like Denzel Washington. It's nothing to do with this persona, this, this feel about the man. It's the, a deep, profound persuasion. I, I, there's a lot of ways to put this, but I'm just going to put it that way. There's a deep, profound persuasion that's taking place here. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. I, to be honest with you, had not thought about that this point till this past week. And that is, have you ever considered the first display of this king's authority? So he declares himself to be the king and that the king is coming. That's just, you know, there in verses, I've got to put the glasses back on, uh, verses 14 and 15, right? What's the first way he displays the authority? It's not a miracle. It's the calling of his disciples. That's the first way this king displays who he is. He calls people to follow him. That's the first mark, is the first display, first demonstration of his authority. Now, the miracles follow and back up the authority and say, oh, you kind of show and prove, oh, that, this is who we thought he was or he said he was. It's really something to kind of consider here. So part of the answer is why did they follow him? Who is this that they're hearing? Part of that answer has to do with the authority of his voice, but the other part of it is more than that, and that is the power of his voice. The, the, the power of his voice. Who is this that is speaking? Who is this that is, is speaking, standing there before him? Well, it's evidenced in the text, like implicitly and explicitly. Verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus the Christ, that is the Messiah, the anointed one. Christ is not his last name, it's a title. So the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that's who this is. And in case we miss that, well, then you just keep reading and you find out, well, oh my goodness, this is the one uh, long-awaited, prophesied by the ancient prophets over the course of centuries. This is the one who is beloved by the Father. You keep reading through the text. You keep reading and you find, oh my goodness, this is the one who is anointed and empowered by the Holy Spirit, sent forth on this, this mission. So who is this? This is the Christ. This is the Son of God himself. And he speaks and something comes alive in these men. That's as important as the authority thing, that's as important as that is, there's power in his speaking, and a lot of commentaries, commentators, point out that even in the first few, verse, first few words of the first verse, when it says the beginning, that could well be, kind of like in John's gospel, a hearkening back to Genesis, a creating, a recreating by speaking. Jesus is speaking. And something is happening. It's the reality of the call. The reality of the call. The authority of the call. The power of the call that still continues today. It still continues 
today. I don't know how many of you have had the opportunity to visit some of our national parks. I've heard one wise sage put it this way. If there's one thing the federal government does well, it's the national park system. Probably true. Um, you know, maybe you've been to the Arches. Maybe you've been to Yosemite. Maybe you've been to Glacier. Maybe you've been to Acadia. Maybe you've been to one of the canyons. Maybe you've been to Yellowstone. Let me tell you about Yellowstone. Yellowstone, it's huge. It's bigger than the states of Rhode Island and Delaware combined. A lot of real estate. Uh, over 500 geysers, over 10,000 um, hydrothermic sites. By that, I mean not just geysers, but these pools, these boiling pools that you don't want to get in. Um, some 200 waterfalls, and that's the terrain. Then there's the creatures. Oh, the creatures. Not just the black bears, but the grizzlies. Not just the coyotes, but the wolves. And then the bisons. Bisons? Bi I don't know, bison. Asa, help me out here. What's the plural of bison? I think it's bison, yeah. Um, it's like another world. It's like another world, this place. But here's the thing, it's not. It's, it's not. We could have the AV guys put a live stream camera from some tree or cliff, and we could watch right now what's happening in Yellowstone because it's real. It's not another world. It's part of this world. Why am I going on about this? Because sometimes I think we read the passage or passages like this in Mark 1, and we say, well, that was another place. That was another world. Like this idea of Jesus speaking with power and authority, and people hearing and responding and coming and following him, that's just another world. That's just not true. It's this world. This world is that world. We live in that world right now, in a world in which Jesus speaks with authority and power, and people hear and leave all and follow I wonder if we believe that. I wonder if we really believe that. Do we read our Bibles that way? Do we pray to him that way? Or, or just put it this way, if I could just, before I move on to the second point, which I need to, have you ever considered, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you're a disciple, your experience as to how that came about is really no different than how it came about for Peter and Andrew and James and John. It is exactly the same. You heard the call of Jesus, and now you follow him. It's exactly the same. It's exactly the same. To be a disciple begins with the call. Oh, we need to consider the reality of this. Let's go on to the second point, the necessity of Jesus' call. So not just who is speaking, but how is it we hear how is it that we hear? You know, it's worth noting, there's nothing wrong with fishing. This will come as much relief to many of you. Uh, there's nothing wrong with fishing. We get no hint whatsoever in the text that these men were failing, like they were bad fishermen. I've heard, I don't know how many bad sermons trying to make that point. It's not true. There is, you get every sense, right, actually, just the other way, that, that's a flourishing business. There's no sense of discontentment with what they're doing. But something happens. Something happens that day. 
Something happens in their hearts that day. What was it? Why, why did they leave all that behind to follow this man? Well, there's a, there's a twofold answer to that because there's two types of calls that are worth our understanding to be clear on this. So the first is the external call, and that is the message alone. Just the message alone, the audible voice or the written word, the message of who Jesus is and why he came and how we should respond to him. It's the, the, the message alone that goes out broadly to each and every person the exact same way. That's the external call. And there are different, sometimes widely divergent responses to that call. Some people hear it, accept it, embrace it, and their lives are changed. Others hear it, dismiss it, reject it, and walk away. Regarding the external call, there can be completely different, divergent responses to that message. But there's another kind of call. One that goes beyond just sound in the ears, but rather power worked in the heart. And, and the, the term that theologians have used to describe this for centuries is what's referred to as not the external call, but the effectual call. The effectual call. Just, just simple definition of that. Something that has its desired effect. It's effectual. It does what it is intended to do. It lands the way it's intended to land. The effectual call. In this case, it's a supernatural work within the human heart by the Holy Spirit who takes that external call and presses it down deep in the fissures of the heart and changes that man or woman. And they're never the same. And they're never the same. Perhaps we could go with a, a technical definition, just kind of going a little further with this. If you uh, have the bulletin printed out in the quotes and notes section, there is uh, a quote from the old Westminster Shorter Catechism, 1647, question number 33. What is effectual calling? Uh, it's long, it's lengthy. These guys love punctuation marks. You should see the larger catechism. I don't, I, I don't know what to do. I never knew what to do with a semicolon until I read the larger catechism. What is effectual calling? This is the shorter catechism. What is effectual calling? Effectual calling is a work of God's spirit whereby convincing us of our sin and misery and enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ and renewing our wills, he persuades and enables us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel truckload there but that's the effectual cause what it is and how it comes about and it is absolutely necessary it is absolutely necessary for that, that any of us would hear that external call and it would connect and land in our hearts so what that's what's happening that's what we see happening in these men that day there on the shore of the sea of galilee the effectual call taking place in their lives. Which takes me to this. I'll just tell you a little bit of my own story, the way that came about in my own life. Details some of you will identify with and some of you will not. But the, well not, not, maybe not the particulars, but if you're a follower of Jesus, the essence, the core of the story, the plot line is basically the same. So 
I'm a high school student. Some friends of mine invite me to a Young Life meeting. You know why I went? To meet girls. That's why I went, and it's why I kept going. I, to be looking back on that time, I wouldn't have said it at the time, but I was discontent, and you could probably make a case somewhat miserable, though I would never have owned that, nor would I have said I was on a spiritual quest. Though I was, I just wouldn't have understood that or given that kind of language to it at the time. I kept going. I became more and more curious about this Jesus, was drawn and eventually drawn to and eventually gave my life to him. And now you could say, could say, you'd be wrong, but you could say, and that was the beginning. But it wasn't. Because so much had been happening leading up to that point. You, you could put it this way. That was when I was born. But there'd been the time in the womb leading up to that, a lifetime leading up to that, of things that I look back on now and I, I can identify the, the, the good things and the bad, things that I'm aware of and things that I'm not. But this is the, the mystery and miracle of the effectual call at work. Now, my, my simple point in bringing this up is, is, is this. What's your story? If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a, a disciple, if you're a Christian, I just would want to ask you this question this morning. What is your story? Some of you may have identified with some of the details of what I just told you of my own. Some of you may not, but the Lord's working is, is in place in whatever the story is. Whether, whether it, you came to know him suddenly, which was, you could make a case I did, or slowly, like many others do. But what's your story? And I ask that question because I, I would encourage you to ask yourself that question. To ask yourself, what's my story? How did effectual calling play itself out in my life? You know, if you will take the time to wrestle with that, the retelling of the story, your own story to yourself, it'll so encourage your heart to remind you of the power and reality of, of God's work still in our lives today that might even give you the courage to pray and act more boldly in, the lives to come, in, your, in your days to come. Being reminded of what he's already done. Being reminded of what he's already done. To begin, to begin as a disciple begins with the call. One more thing I want to point out that is uh, unique to following Jesus, unique to this call, uh, and we see it even here in the text, is uh, and it's not just who it is that's extending the call, and it's not just uh, how it is, and it's not just the path that he walks in there and we follow upon, and it's not just the totality of the life that he calls for from us. There's one more thing, the initiative, the initiative that he takes with this call. You may not know this, but in the first century, and I've said earlier, right, that this was the, the concept of discipleship was, was common in that day and in that time. What was not common was this, and, and th that being that the leader, the discipler, calls the disciple. That was unheard of at the time. 
at the time, what the, the way it was done was the potential disciple considers, weighs the options of different people, different causes to follow, and then makes the decision. You know, kind of like we do in so many different things, right? Do your research, like do your research, and then, you know, make, make the call, make the decision. Because it, it's, it's up to you is, is, the, is the idea. What well, was the idea then as well? This, this idea of one, of a discipler, of a master, a rabbi of sorts, calling others to follow him was unheard of. Well, that's true in the first century, and in many ways it's true in the 21st century as well. I alluded to this earlier, how the degree to which we think we want to believe, we want to be in the driver's seat. With all of our options open, uh, with all the possibilities before us, with the decision left to us. But, you know, it's interesting to consider Jesus' words on that score. And I'm going to go back to this, but you may remember a few weeks ago, John 15, the vine. We were looking at that I am statement. And one of the things that Jesus says in there is is this. John 15, verse 16. I did not choose, you, you did not choose me. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I chose you to bear fruit. That's really worth our thinking about and our considering. You know, who, who, who chose here? And it points to this. It is all of his grace, all of his grace. Our following him is of his grace. The only reason you are a disciple is because of his grace, his grace in your life, his moving towards you, and that effectual call playing itself out in your life. That is all of his grace. If you're a follower of him, that is all of his grace as is his finished work. It is all of his grace. So from start to finish and everything in between, it is all of his grace, his having lived the life we were supposed to have lived and died the death that we deserve to die. It is all of his grace. Indeed, even this moment is of his grace. The fact that we have this sacrament to celebrate and take partake of together this morning, that our poor hearts, that our leaky brains would be reminded and refreshed in the reality of his grace is evidence of his grace poured out yet all the fuller uh, into our our lives. Uh, If I may, let me take you to 1 Corinthians 11. Paul writes of this, the the celebration of the Lord's Supper there to his readers there in the uh, city of Corinth. First Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant In my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For... Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. What is this for? What is this for? It's very clear what this is.